The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. Apple sales falling for a fourth consecutive quarter, making it the largest and longest slowdown that we've seen since way back in 2001. The company also did not provide any formal guidance for the current quarter, sticking with the policy it adopted during the pandemic. The results suggest that Apple is facing a bigger deceleration in China than feared. It comes as the government there has imposed iPhone bans in some workplaces. We got reaction from Bloomberg's Anurag Rana. You know, if it is a consumer spending slowdown, then I personally am not that concerned. Maybe things get pushed out for another six to nine months. But if they're losing market share to a local phone maker, I think that's a bigger concern because China is, for the midterm, the big growth driver for, uh, for Apple's products. That's Anurag Rana. The new phone that Anurag referred to is from Huawei Technologies and is providing new competition to Apple's iPhone. The shares of Apple are trading in uh, late uh, trading down three and a quarter percent or so, having uh, touched 182 at one point, now trading in the 70, 171 range. Okay. Well, in the regular session, we had shares in Starbucks jumping nearly 10 percent. That's the largest increase we've seen since May 2020. This rally came, by the way, after the coffee giant gave a positive forecast for revenue. The story from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. The coffee chain giant easily topping earnings expectations last quarter thanks to more coffee orders and larger orders per transaction, especially in the U.S. and in China. Now, last quarter, same-store sales rose 8%, way more than the 6.3% estimated. But the chain is forecasting global sales to rise between 5 and 7% over the next year. That's a less aggressive target than it gave one year ago. That's on worries about China's slow recovery and the financial strength of U.S. consumers. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Radio. Well, the jury in the fraud trial of FTX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried began its deliberations this afternoon. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan told jurors that they will not be deliberating tomorrow, but he said that they could work as late as 8 p.m. tonight if it were needed, if, uh, if they needed that much time. The judge said that the court would provide dinner and cars home for jurors, and then deliberations would resume on Monday if there was no verdict today. Well, the equity market, as we mentioned a short while ago, rallied today on the bet that the Fed is done with rate hikes. We had the S&P 500 today jumping by about 1.9%. That's the biggest rally that we have seen since April. It comes the day before we get the October employment report. Numbers tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. And Bloomberg's Michael McKee has a preview. We're watching what they're watching. Fed Chair Jay Powell says a tight labor market could lead to another rate move, which means markets will parse the October jobs report trying to determine what it signals. Is hiring still much stronger than what's needed to absorb an increasing labor force? Have higher interest rates led companies to pull back on hiring or even start letting people go? 
Are companies still paying up to attract workers? While the Fed will also see the November payrolls report before its next meeting, Powell says it will take several months of data to make any decisions. So study the numbers and file them away for the December meeting. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Radio. The Bank of England has left its benchmark lending rate at a 15-year high. The central bank's monetary policy committee voted to maintain the key rate at five and a quarter percent. The BOE meeting boosting expectations for when policymakers might start lowering the key rate. But then Governor Andrew Bailey tells us he still sees a long way to go to reduce inflation. We still see the risks to inflation as being on the upside at the moment. And it's important not to, for that message not to get lost. If the market has taken from what we have published today a view that we are leaning towards more cuts, then I'm afraid I will lean against that. Andrew Bailey. Bailey also warned of risks from the Israel-Hamas war causing turmoil in energy markets and a tight labor market. Well, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will begin a three-day visit in China on Saturday. This is the first trip to China by an Australian Prime Minister since 2016, and it may be a sign of a thaw in relations between these two countries. We have more from Bloomberg's Paul Allen in Sydney. Australia-China relations have been in a dark place since 2020. Grievances have been piling up. China unhappy with Australia's calls for an investigation into the origins of COVID through to the banning of Huawei from Australia's 5G rollout. Trade strikes on numerous Australian products, including barley, wine and coal, followed. The 2022 election of the Albanese government presented an opportunity for a reset. The trade strikes have now been almost completely wound back. And this weekend's visit by Prime Minister Albanese is both symbolic and significant. At its core, this is a transactional relationship. China is Australia's largest trade partner, while China also wants to join the CPTPP Trade Pact, which requires agreement of all members, and that includes Australia. Paul Allen, Bloomberg Radio. Time now for global news. Israeli troops have encircled Gaza City as the death toll rises. Ed Baxter has news from the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, as well, Brian, uh, tied to that, the House uh, has voted on Israeli aid and has passed it. We'll have uh, both of those stories. Israeli ground offensives intensify with potential to move on Gaza City soon. Authorities in Gaza say more than 9,000 people have died due to the war. That figure has not been confirmed elsewhere. Meanwhile, there appears to be movement toward a short pause for humanitarian purposes. U.S. President Joe Biden says Israel and Hamas should pause fighting to allow hostages out and aid into Gaza. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby. In order to move hostages from where they were being held to safety, it does require a, a short pause in the fighting so that you can do it safely. I mean, why wouldn't you? Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken on his way to Israel says the goal. We're determined that this conflict not spread and we'll be talking to both uh, the Israeli government and partners in the region. Uh, about what all of us are doing to prevent that from happening. But it already has spread to some degree. Pentagon spokesman Pat Ryder says there have been 28 attacks aimed at U.S. military since October 17th. Just since the 16th, three in Iraq, five in Syria. He says no injuries associated with them. The House has just passed the Israeli aid bill, the one that takes some money from IRS spending. It is dead on arrival in the Senate. And Bloomberg's Jordan Fabian says as well. The White House said to Today, that they also would not sign a, a standalone Israel bill. So they, they're putting even more pressure on the Senate to deliver that combined package. But of course, the question is, can they get a combined package through the House? They'll need Democratic help for that. But will Speaker Johnson put it up for a vote? Stay tuned. 
Yeah, and Democratic Congressman Pete Aguilar says it has to happen. We feel that a bipartisan solution will come. A bipartisan emergency supplemental uh, will come uh, at some point from the Senate that looks out for our allies and friends, uh, but does so in a responsible way that doesn't set a terrible precedent for national security. Now, House Speaker Mike Johnson, just off this recent victory in the House the past few minutes, agrees that something will get done. Even our our um, our most hardline, you know, fiscal conservatives and those who typically oppose the idea of foreign aid in principle, they understand the necessity of this. And House Speaker Johnson says a plan for aid for Ukraine and the border. We we're going to take care of a, a border in Ukraine. We need to take care of America's border as well. And I think there's bipartisan support for that idea. OK, so while we have uh, Mr. Johnson, let's pivot a little bit. He says he feels impeachment articles against President Joe Biden could be filed soon. I do believe that very soon we are coming to a point of decision on it. We're in the impeachment inquiry phase, as you know, which is an important step in that due process. So, a very full plate. Almost all the China-funded Confucius Institutes in the U.S. have closed, highlighting how soured ties between Beijing and Washington have led U.S. universities to abandon what was once seen as a, a cheap way to offer Chinese classes. All but five of the institutes which were created in 2004 to promote Chinese language are now closed. This is a, a government accountability office, so it should be pretty uh, accurate resource. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rishad Salamat, and our guest is Maribel Lopez, founder and principal analyst at Lopez Research. So we wanted to take a closer look at Apple earnings. Maribel, thanks very much for being with us. Uh, one of the troubling signs, I suppose, to uh, investors who are long Apple is that Qualcomm talked about how good the chip business was there, that they had a 35% increase from Chinese phone makers. And so with the stumble by Apple, it suggests that it's not just the slowdown in the economy, but other factors at play. How important is the China business at the moment to Apple? I think the China business is very important to Apple. And I think during their earnings call, they made uh, statements to try to allay fears on this, basically by saying that the September quarter was a record quarter for iPhone sales in, uh, I believe they said mainland China. So, they really are trying to manage expectations around the China market. And I think it's very difficult for investors to get a handle on that right now. We have two outstanding factors, the first one obviously being whether or not bans would be extended, which would obviously hurt iPhone sales tremendously. The second being whether or not competition from companies such as Huawei would put a dent in their business due to finances of various products, what the price points are, if they're close enough in functionality. So it's really a very precarious market for Apple in China right now. So, in order to counter it, I suppose, Maribel, they are 
really putting a bet on India. And uh, how do you think that's going to pan out for them? Well, they obviously said that they had their best quarter ever in India. They called it out as the first market that they wanted to talk about. One of the things you always worry about with the emerging markets for a company like Apple is they have a premium product. Will they be able to have broad scale penetration in a market with a very expensive product is still an open question. I know they've been leaning very heavily on their services business. And they actually tried to tie the combination of the phone and the services together as a possibility that that would help bridge the gap. We, we did see actually pretty good performance in iPhone sales. I mean, if you look at the numbers, 43.8 billion uh, was stronger than the estimate of, of 43.7. And uh, the, the mix, an easy way to kind of think of the mix of, of Apple overall is about half of their sales is, is iPhones. About a quarter uh, is, uh, or a fifth is services. And uh, then kind of everything else uh, fits in from there. Um, when, you, when you look at how services actually did. Uh, what's your estimation uh, about the quality of that? So there's a few things you mentioned there that I think are, are worth digging into. You know, when you looked at the earnings, there was a bit of a mix in terms of what we thought was going to happen and what did happen. iPhone sales, I think, were stronger than most people had predicted that they would be, given the maturity of the product. Um, services actually made up for significant shortfall in other product categories, and I thought that was a real win for them. You know, we've always been a bit suspect over whether services can actually bridge the gap. But their margins were tremendous. So I think when I look at the services business, I look at an opportunity for a very broad install base to still have a higher attach rate than it does now with a very high margin product. Now, the balance of that always is it's hard to grow top line revenue. Services do not grow top line revenue at the same rate that selling, say, iPhones would or selling MacBook Pros would. Absolutely. This is it, isn't it? But I mean, it's all part of the ecosystem, and that ecosystem still serves them very well, does it not? Absolutely. The ecosystem continues to grow. They had mentioned that they have the largest installed base that they have ever had. And with a large installed base comes the opportunity to layer more services and to have greater attach rate on products as they add new products. And and the the PC market seems like it's ready for a rebound. Uh, that's kind of what we've been seeing and and hearing from some other companies. And Apple did unveil this new MacBook um, Pros as well as iMacs and and, and new processors this week. Uh, in terms of of looking at these other areas like PCs and then also AI, um, what are you hearing? I think you really hit it spot on with the discussion about whether or not the PC winter is over. Uh, we've had many quarters at this point of double-digit declines across the industry. It is time for a refresh related to AI. Um, basically, software is more AI-enabled. It's creating more tax on the processing that people have with their existing footprint of PCs. So we expect that there will definitely be business buys that will happen in 2024, but we're also seeing that some of the markets that traditionally were very performance heavy, such as gaming, uh, would be really interested in something such as the MacBook Pro with one of the new M3 chips because of that dynamic caching that they offered. It means the GPU performance is better. And if your GPU performance is better, your graphics and your gaming are better. So that is something that could be a win. We could even begin to see mm. that win as part of the December quarter. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, didn't show up in this one, but looks set for uh, the quarter ending in December. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Maribel. Maribel Lopez, founder and principal analyst at Lopez Research, with us live. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.